Good morning, church. Grab a seat. We are truly honoured to be with you, and we mean that. We love this church. We've been uh, connected to the Imaginations family for a number of years now. Uh, so this is not our first missions conference, um, although it might be your first. And you might be overwhelmed by that video. I know we are, and we think, how on earth do you continue to have so much impact around the world? And from what we can see, it's consistency. It's a lot of people who say, yes, I believe in this cause and I'm going to be involved in some way. If we had said, well, we want you to go and build 350 homes, you think, well, I can't do that. But indeed, you can, right? And you're doing another 26 this year and multiplied and multiplied and multiplied your impact around the world is from a group of ordinary people doing ordinary things. But when we come together, we actually see the purpose of God established on the earth. So we come and we thank you genuinely for our part in that. There are things that we get to say yes to every single day because we have the resource to do it. We have the resource to do it because you are giving and supporting and making a commitment. And it's every month, without fail, on time, imaginations, we see it come through and we think, thank God for this church. Thank God for this church. Never late, always on time and giving exactly what you say you're going to give. And that's because of your faith promise that you give, which allows um, the church to plan and to make these promises of what's going to happen throughout the year. So genuinely, thank you. Uh, we are going to start with just a short video to introduce uh, Sapeo, which is our ministry, um, so you can understand who we are. them standing by the pole or oh, had ever chatting or oh, eating something. A lot of them used to get up to do food, Kids on the street were stabbed. Benefit, like they can beat you. They were picked up by police and sent to prison for no reason. People rape kids in the streets. The street is not a safe place for children. It started when I saw hundreds of children living on the streets of Maseru and I said, I can't pretend I didn't see this. I spent two years building relationships with kids there until I understood the problem. And I realised I had to help these children return to their families because they all had them. And I had to help these children finish primary school. There are people who are in Lesotho not just to help kids but to make money. But having a relationship with Mabelinda, I saw someone who was dedicated to help kids. She would go into their families. And when I talked to teachers and I talked to family and I talked to neighbours, I understood. This is a complex problem. And it's relational. We need to fix these relationships. We're an organisation that gets kids off the streets and back into families. And we also have a school.
help them to heal emotionally and mentally and to heal from the trauma that they experienced. When someone believes they have no purpose, they live as if they have no purpose. Our children don't identify as street kids. We never use the word because that is not who they are. They are young men created for a purpose. I just make sure that I'm their champion and I, I'm, I believe in them. Our team is incredible. You can see that God has called each one of them for their role. Working in CPR and meeting Dr. Josh and maybe Linda, it's been a, a really awesome experience because they've helped us to bring our own answers to the problems that we have. Problems that we see are not solved through a program. They are solved through extreme love. Have you noticed that there are not children on the streets anymore? Yes, I have. And I'm very proud of this. Five years ago, the streets were full of, of children. They would get into fights. They would stab each other on this very street. But they are now within the families. Now, these streets are empty. just have to make sure we're engaged and we'll always win. So this movie is probably a couple of years old, but the fact remains that Maseru is one of the only capital cities in the world with no street children. And it was not that way to begin with. If you missed last night, we gave a bit of a background to our story, and I won't go back into that today, but Josh and I never intended to be involved in this kind of work. We were both very much pursuing our careers, and I went to Lesotho in 2012 to help run their national elections. Having seen hundreds of children living on the street, I was convicted that as a Christian and as someone who had professed to be a follower of Jesus and to be living in the way that he had instructed me, I could not pretend I hadn't seen it. I could not get on with my life as I had known it before. And we both decided to lay down our lives and our careers. And we have lived in Lesotho now for nearly a decade. And we have been a part of this incredible transformation that God had always wanted to do. But he acts through his people. He acts through obedient people. And that church is who we are called to be. Our God is a God of justice. When he sees suffering, when he sees abandonment, when he sees people being wronged and everyone else turning a blind eye, he calls on his people to act. That is our responsibility. So yesterday we went through Isaiah 58 and God was speaking to his people and he was saying, I see you are worshipping me and I see you are bringing your sacrifices and your offerings to me. But it is not my heart. These things are not what I am after. I am after justice. 
I want you to stand up for the oppressed and I want you to bring homeless people into your own homes and I want you to feed those who are hungry and I want you to clothe those who have nothing to wear. That is what I am calling you to do. And we heard that when Jesus came to earth, he came in fulfilment of a promised kingdom that would bring salvation to our souls but would bring justice for oppression. It would bring both a, a spiritual salvation and a physical redemption. And then he called his people, the church, to go out into the world and do the same. Today, we are going to be speaking about one very specific form of injustice, and that is the injustice of exclusion. Our world is full of excluded people, people who think God is against them, people who feel like nobody loves them, people who have never experienced love. And this exclusion offends God. And it is our responsibility as a church to become a people who include others, who have inclusion at the heart of our faith. Inclusion is one of the most basic of human needs. And God made us to be that way, that we have a sense and a need to belong somewhere, to be accepted by a community. And because this is so hardwired into our being, God was addressing uh, some people through a prophet in this society where there was exclusion everywhere. And God addressed it. Now, it's in Ezekiel chapter 34. And this is Old Testament, for those of you who don't know. And he was an Old Testament prophet correcting the people in power in society in that day. See, life for them was good. They had amassed power and influence. They had everything they needed. And I dare say they would have called themselves blessed. But this prophet comes in the midst and brings the word of God into their lives and into their situation. Here he is speaking to the leadership and the influential people of that nation. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. But this is what the sovereign Lord says in verse 11. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. He's saying, you've done such a terrible job at including people. I'm going to come in myself and step in. I myself will come. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. During my first few years in Lesotho, the streets were full of children. And there were two full years where I sat in those streets, morning and night, and all weekend, trying to understand what was driving these children to live there. To the eye, it looked like a problem of poverty. Children were filthy, they were begging, they had nowhere to sleep, they were addicted to drugs. But as time passed, and I watched literally hundreds of organisations, churches and individuals come through and buy shoes, hand out food, 
organise sporting activities and run projects. And none of it succeeded. I watched children attending weekly programs at NGOs come back to the streets and die. And I realised we were missing something greatly. It dawned on me that this was not a problem of poverty. It was a problem of exclusion. There were other poor children in Lesotho who didn't end up on the streets. Millions of them. But what happens in Lesotho when you are poor but included is that your teacher notices that you don't have a uniform and she gets you one. Your neighbour notices that your family is hungry and they share their food with you. If a parent passes away, the entire extended family comes together for a family meeting and everybody agrees on their ongoing responsibilities towards those children. And if something goes drastically wrong and you have a child who is rebelling or they've stolen something in the village and runs to town, someone in that family will go to the street to fetch them. Not these children. These children showed patterns of being excluded from birth. They were often first rejected within their own families, either because they never knew their father or because they had a stepfather who refused to share with food with them. Or there was abuse or a mum who had herself gone through so much trauma that she was addicted to drugs or alcohol or wandering the village and not staying at home with her kids. And then that exclusion within the family spilled out into the community because other families began to avoid that dysfunctional home and tell their children, don't play with those kids. And then these kids began to act out behaviourally. They didn't dress properly. They didn't speak properly. They weren't performing well academically. And so they faced rejection at school. The teachers whip them. The kids avoid them. And soon they drop out of school altogether. And eventually, that history of rejection spills out onto the street. And unlike the included child, no one comes to fetch this one. We are at a place in Lesotho where we have no children on, our capital, on the streets of our capital city. But it's not because we fixed poverty. It's because we fixed exclusion. We created a school, a place, where anybody could find inclusion. Everyone was accepted, no matter what their behaviours, no matter what their appearance, no matter if they were addicted to drugs, they could not show respect or they would steal everything we owned. We decided to extend the radical love of Jesus and to walk a journey of healing with every child, yeah. no matter the starting point. So we know it's not just okay for us to be doing well. What we're learning from Scripture is that when God sees us, he also sees people who are excluded and cares exactly the same for them as he does for you. So if we have our feel, if we're included, if life's good for us, I wonder if God would place upon us an expectation to include those who are not doing well, who didn't get a good start in life who don't know how to fit in, who behave wrong, who don't look like us, talk like us, 
who aggravate us and upset us. Inclusion is our mandate, not just blessing. It's inclusion because the whole mission of God was saving every single person. God loves the world, everyone. He loves you, yes, no question. But he also loves people that are out on their own today. And we have a scriptural requirement, a mandate, as part of God's kingdom, that everyone would be included. And that's one thing that we can offer is inclusion. We might not always have resource, but we can always include. So I can think no better example of inclusion in Scripture than Jesus. And in particular, there's a story of Jesus and a guy called Zacchaeus. You might know the story. And if I revert and say Zacchaeus throughout the story, please forgive me. Our eldest son is named Zacchaeus, which is the Sasutu version of this name. All right, so please excuse me as we go through. And we're going to read from Scripture. And what we want to do today is draw out some really practical elements to learn how can we include more in our daily life, in your life, in our community, and certainly around the world. Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming along that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So what can we learn from this? If you are a note taker, um, you can take some notes and maybe discuss in your uh, Bible study or connect group over the next couple of weeks. But I want to pull out some observations from this scripture, which can teach us about inclusion and exclusion. The first thing was that Jesus was passing through. He had no intention of stopping in that town that day. He was simply on his way. But something made him stop and change his plans. What was that? Zacchaeus. He was going somewhere else. He had somewhere else to be. But seeing someone made him stop and change his plans. Jesus knew his priorities. He knew what was important to him. And for us, the choice is rarely between the important and the not important. That's an easy decision to make, isn't it? But we are often faced with two decisions between two things that are important. That's the difficulty of life. But Jesus knew what his priority was. Seeing someone who was excluded got his attention and made him stop and say, this is what I'm about. I don't just get to say, oh, that's sad and keep going. It changed his plans for that day. People 
take priority. People take priority. The next thing we notice is that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. All right, this is important. They're not just telling us his occupation here. A chief tax collector was very much hated in those days. Right? Not just because he collected tax, but he was hated for two reasons. Tax collectors in those days were collaborators with the Roman occupation. See, at this time, the Romans had come in and were occupying this part of the world. They had conquered. And the way that they would conquer, they wouldn't come in with all of their force and rule, but they would find locals to do their bidding for them. So there would not be Roman tax collectors, they would find Jewish tax collectors to go and collect tax from their people. Can you imagine that? Someone who was profiting off your suffering, who was one of you. This is why tax collectors were hated. They had become enemies of their own people. And people felt justified in hating and excluding them. The other reason that tax collectors were hated is because they would cheat. They would say, well, I can see you owe 100, um, 150. Right? They would collect extra tax and pocket it. And everyone knew this. And so here is a person living a luxurious lifestyle because they were a cheat and they were stealing from their own people, profiting off the suffering and the occupation of the nation. So if anyone was excluded at this time and place, it was Zacchaeus. But the thing is, he wasn't just a regular victim or a sinner. You know, we know the types of people we can have compassion on. You might say, well, it's easy to have compassion on a kid on the street. They've done nothing wrong. But in this situation, it's taken to the extreme and Jesus shows us how to include. People would have said, well, he's chosen this lifestyle. He gets what he deserves. But what had happened was that Zacchaeus had accepted his position as an outsider. There becomes a point where you stop trying to be included. And if you want to understand what gangs are all about, this is it, where someone just confirms, I'm never going to be accepted. So why on earth would I obey the rules of society? And gangs form then to punish the society that has rejected them. That's how it works. We see it here in Australia, and it's all around the world. And they just reinforce, you're an outsider. We hate you. You will never belong to us. And it just creates a cycle and goes on and on and on. The next thing we observe, number three, is that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. Interesting, isn't it? There was this big commotion in the city and everyone was following along. And we would think, this guy has no interest in what everyone else is interested in. He has no interest in this great teacher who's passing through. But you would be surprised at the motivations of the people that we hate. You would be surprised. Never assume what's going on in someone's heart. There are real desires in there, behind those pains and the hurts. Church, people want to see who Jesus is. Never ever believe that someone is too far gone. I was just sharing a story yesterday at a brother of mine who honestly, I believed was way, way, way too far gone. I mean, you would pray, but there wasn't any faith in that prayer until I think maybe one day he might have been 46 and just called me out of nowhere and said, hey, 
I believe in God. Right? Out of nowhere. Never underestimate what's going on inside someone's life. People need to see who Jesus is. And I want to show them. How about you? How about you? Can you look beyond an exterior long enough to know that someone might want to see who Jesus is? The next thing we observe, and I love this statement by Jesus. He invited himself. He says, I must stay at your house. What did he see in this guy that said, hey, you up there, I've got to go and spend time with you. I must come to your house. We've got to see differently. Can you look at someone who is a bit strange to you, someone that offends you and say, I must spend some time with you. That's what Jesus was like. And we think inclusion is bringing someone into our world, right? It's like, hey, come to our church. Come and try and fit in with us. And and there's no doubt that you would make someone feel welcome and you would love them and you would make them be comfortable. But inclusion means entering someone else's world and learning to be comfortable in a place that you've never been before. It's engaging in theirs. This is the gospel. The whole gospel is that Jesus came from heaven and entered into our world, took on the weakness of humanity to include us, that we would be forgiven and included in his kingdom forever. This is the gospel message. And as we live it out, our call is not just to bring people into us, but please do that. Have people around for lunch, take people out for coffee, but there must come a time where you enter into someone else's world. We started to see the greatest change at Sapeo when our staff do home visits. Now, we have a great site. It's a fun place. Our programs are beautiful. Kids love coming. And that has an impact. But you should see what happens when a teacher turns up to someone's house after school. Their face lights up to think, you've come to see me. Was I that important that you would come to my house out of all the kids that we've got? Come meet this person. Come see this person. And the change begins because you enter into their world. We say, I'm coming to your house today. For us as an organisation, it meant moving into the village, which was the biggest feeder village for our whole city. 80% of the kids on the street came from this one village. And we were looking for um, sites in the city and couldn't get them until there was something right in the middle of this village and things began to change. Because what we're really saying is, you're acceptable. The next thing we notice is Jesus said, this too is a son of Abraham. So we remember all the reasons why Zacchaeus was unacceptable and hated. But Jesus brought back this common denominator to say he's one of us, <laughs> right? Like, and he had to go as far back as Abraham to find a point of commonality. Don't get me wrong. He said, well, all right, well, he's a son of Abraham. He is still one of our nation. We share a humanity with everyone around the world. All the videos you've seen this morning, you might think, what commonality do I have with that person? They're another human with the same desires and hopes that you have. So we look for commonality. We have a shared struggle. And what we are really saying is who people are is more important than what they've done. 
And that's what Jesus was identifying in this moment. He is the son of Abraham. Who you are is more important than what you've done. And in that moment, Jesus put a completely different label on him. In the story, we get a fair bit of information about Zacchaeus. All these labels that he would have carried. We were told that he was short. He would have carried that around. We're told that he was a tax collector. He would have carried that label. We're told that he was wealthy. We're told that he was a cheat. We're told that he was a sinner. All these labels put on him. And in that moment, Jesus said, here is the son of Abraham. He's one of us. We choose a different label. Next thing we learn. That Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. Jesus knew what he was about. Do you know what you're about? Jesus knew what he was about. I came to seek and save the lost. And the people listening at that time would have known exactly what he meant. Earlier in the message, I read out Ezekiel 34. Do you remember that? When God was talking about my sheep are scattered, so I myself will come. This is what he's talking about here. And in that moment, everyone knew what Jesus was talking about, that he was the one coming to rescue the lost sheep of Israel. This is the gospel. This is the story he chooses to fulfill that scripture. An enemy of society, someone that it is easy to hate, that we have a story about, that we are justified in rejecting. Jesus said, that is who I was talking about. You include them and you love them and you see what's inside of them because God definitely does. Jesus seeks out the lost. He doesn't wait till someone comes and is interested. He seeks them out and he seeks injustice and does not blame the victim. And he gives them what they really need. The last thing we learn is that belonging comes before behaviour. Do you notice that Jesus didn't say, I'm going to come and stay at your house after Zacchaeus repented? Zacchaeus felt belonging and inclusion and love and as a response to that said, I'm going to clean up my life. I'm going to pay back everything that I stole. Sometimes we stand in this position and say, if you would pay back all of that, Zacchaeus, then you can come and be one of us again. We're going to welcome you and love you with open arms, but clean up first. Get all this right. But we can tell you after thousands of times, Belonging always comes before right behaviour, every single time. So our focus must be, as we carry out our mission in our communities and around the world, focus on belonging first. That's your part. And the behaviour is their part. As Josh was saying, we've seen this again and again. Um, We've now walked with thousands of children and their families. We have a 95% success rate in keeping children in homes and in seeing families heal. And it's this radical commitment to love and belonging that has done it. We live in a society that does not have a justice system. We don't have a police force that can intervene when children are being horrendously abused. And early on, we would try and report cases of of, of horrible abuse in the hope that police could come in and remove a child or or lock up a parent, and, and we'd get nothing, no response. And so we pretty soon had to adapt. And the most incredible thing that I learned from that process was that that abusive parent would never change 
until you love them first. And I could profess to love their child as much as I wanted. But if I loved that child, I had to first love that parent. And so now when we find a horrendous parent, an abusive parent, our team commits to going every week and having a cup of tea. And you will see an instant drop in abuse. Firstly, from not being alone any longer. They are no longer completely isolated. And secondly, because having someone around introduces some accountability. Instant drop in abuse towards that child. And then we start with a question like, how did you feel as a child when you were growing up? You will immediately get an outpouring of pain from that person. And I have found I, I struggle to keep hatred in my heart anymore, even for the most horrendous abusers, because I have seen thousands of kids now, and I know what happens when someone grows up abused and, and never receives love. They turn into an abusive parent. So you can lock up and you can hate and you can reject, and it'll change nothing. The only thing that will work is radical love. And it requires that we humble ourselves. And it requires that we give up our own agendas and our own lives. And we commit to the well-being of others and we give them what they need to heal. We walk the long journey of acceptance with people whose society have rejected. That is how people change. We take the teenager when they come out of a gang. We put up with them ignoring us, abusing us, refusing to come in the classroom. We have a particular family whose mum was, as I described, quite an abusive mama. And she couldn't hold down a job. She couldn't even hold down a house. This family had moved from house to house to house because the chief of each village would, would expel her. And we realised she's never going to keep a job. No one will ever hire her and she will never stay. How do we show love to such a mum? We hired her. We hired her. She has worked for us now for four years. Her children are stable. It's not easy. It's chaos when she's around. But if we withdraw, all of that burden falls on her children alone. Aren't we called to carry burdens, church? Isn't that what we were instructed to do? To carry one another's burdens in love? You remember that it was the Pharisees that Jesus accused of laying heavy burdens on people and not lifting a finger to help? Go away, fix yourself up. I've taught you the standard. Come back when you've met it. That was the Pharisees. But to us, he commanded that we should carry one another's burdens and that is the fulfilment of love. We enter each other's pain. We lift some of it off one another. We endure and forgive one another. And we give people the opportunity to heal and it takes time. So we must humble ourselves, church, and we must play this role for other people, other hurting people, because it is the grace we have received from God and the love that he has offered to us. So church, as we come into the beginning of your new missions year, we wanted to come and be with you. Firstly, to thank you, but also to ask you as humbly as we can, please don't stop. Please don't stop. I know it can become a burden at times. I know it can become 
tiring to hear month in, month out about missions. But please don't become weary in doing good. We, we need it. There are, every week we are hearing about more need, more need. And our desperate cries to, to be able to say yes to every single situation because we have the capacity to do so. When a church like yours comes along and says, we're in this for the long haul, you cannot believe what is going on around the world just because of your simple yes and an unwavering commitment to mission. So thank you, but please don't stop. We're going to hand over to your pastors now, but thank you for having us.